uh, good. If I'm not here, then it's because we're elsewhere. So last Sunday morning, we were in Leek. If any of you know where Leek is, it's right on the edge of the Peak District. And uh, we went over the top. We went through Ashbourne. I said to share, and now we begin to climb. And uh, I did put on Twitter this week, that if anybody works for the highways department, um, big congratulations for this week. Because uh, since last Saturday, uh, with all the snow, I've been to handling Stoke on Trent, Leakin, Staffordshire, Mattersine, North Nottinghamshire, Coventry, and yesterday, Royal Hampton Spa, and the roads have been pretty good all the way through. So well done to the guys that have been out there gritting because they've done an awesome job uh, to keep us all moving. Somebody was on the tally yesterday from the RAC and says the best journey you can make is uh, none at all. Well, frankly, mate, we can't all just sit in sort of toasting our toes by the fire. You know, life goes on. And uh, so it's great. And uh, you need to know that uh, Arena Church spills from me in, uh, in every context to find. And people get that. Um, they they, they re- realize that um, God's doing something amongst us uh, that is uh, just a great local church that's emerging and on a journey, and uh, that spills out. And uh, God's doing some great things uh, around the area. So yesterday, a, a great young couple coming into ministry for the first time in Royal Leamington Spa, uh, and uh, just a grand name, and Dave and uh, uh, Leanne Bolton just really sat there. And just a privilege to encourage them in the things of God. Uh, so we bless the Lord. Just to say, if I can give a little advert, March the 16th is on a Saturday, and uh, we're doing our second area conference, central area conference that day. It's at Coventry. The keynote speakers are John Partington and Mal Fletcher. And uh, if you'd like to go to that, then uh, perhaps you'll let me know. We'll, we'll try and sort of arrange for a few folks to get down there, but I'm sure that you'll be blessed if you're able to go on that particular day. I'm going to turn to the Bible this morning, and uh, the, uh, if you'll go to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. I love Romans 12. Um, And uh, the book of Romans is an amazing letter. Uh, Many people have sort of spent a lifetime just studying this particular book. The first 11 chapters are really talking about uh, our shortcomings in God. The Bible describes it as sin, falling short of God's glory. It talks about the fact that we've been saved and uh, that God's got a purpose for us. And then we come to verse uh, chapter 12 and it begins with a therefore, a pivotal verse Uh, in the whole of the chapter, and it talks about God working in us, about us responding to God, about the gifts of God in the church. And then we come to verse 11. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This morning, friends, we're going to be talking about the theme of passion. Around about five years ago, and we realize now that there was far more depth to the journey than we ever realized at that particular time, we did actually bring, very quietly and unobtrusively, a sense of repurpose to this church. Uh, there's been an expression of Pentecostal witness through something like what is now Arena in this town since 1929. And whilst we thank God for the past, how many of you know that we can't live there? And not living there, friends, doesn't mean that we don't honor the past, we appreciate it. But we realize that that's all to propel us into what God wants to do in the now and in the future. And so we talked about what it meant to belong to the church and we came up with uh, our, uh, heart, uh, our partnership document. And the four major pillars of that document, uh, we are really just seeking to revisit with some freshness in terms of ministering and teaching over these four Sundays that will lead us to our visionary Sunday and just propel us forward in all that God's done. So for the last two weeks, Christian's been sharing with that and doing a great job. And two weeks ago, he had the table here with the bowls of fruit and, and the chairs. And he talked about, community. I want to say that as I sat there listening to that, I was 
freshly impacted by the power of community. And here's the truth. We need to be together. I've heard people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'm not sure where they've got it from, friends. It's not true. And the reality is that if you are a Christian, why wouldn't you belong, want to belong to a community of believers? I understand that at times, because of circumstances and illness, God gives a special grace to people who can't gather together. But the heart of God, friends, is that we would live in togetherness. I think we underestimate the strength that that brings. Because just as Christian talked about our church belonging to something bigger than itself, every one of us need to belong to something that is bigger than ourselves, that stretches our perspectives, that lifts our horizons, that causes us to be something that God's intended us to be. We underestimate at times the strength that it brings. We underestimate, friends, the covering that community brings. You need to understand at times the pain that pastors feel when sometimes somebody walks away from the church. Sometimes, of course, it's because, like Adam and Liz, they were working in another part of the country. But there are occasions, thankfully fairly rare, when somebody decides they're going to walk away from the community of believers, don't want to be part of it anymore. I think they totally underestimate the covering that they are moving out from under. It's something, friends, that's spiritual. It's something that can't be seen. But it's something actually that carries you this week. It's something that you can run to. It's something that you can ask prayer under. The covering of God's people. I think we underestimate the empowerment that community brings. Here's what something I read just this week. Loving and being part of God's house or community is foundational to fulfilling God's plan and enjoying our personal destiny. And so it is. And then last week we... Christians spoke on hope. What an amazing theme. Someone has called this a generation of no hope. Well, if it is, the Christian church needs to arise, friends, with an amazing message of hope. A confident expectation in the unseen and the future. That's what God wants to bring to us. I said to Christian, there was some irony upon the message last Sunday night at Mansfield. Let's just say this. Uh, Field Mill Banqueting Suite was rather chilly. Uh, let me be more blunt. The eating wasn't working. And... Uh, so it was a freezing cold night. Our congregation was probably halved because of people feeling ill and other people unable to travel. And I said to Christian, it was just the night when you needed to speak on hope. In other words, we're seeing something bigger and greater than ever was before our eyes on Sunday evening. It was G.K. Chesterton that says, hope means hoping when things seem hopeless or it has no virtue at all. And here's the heart of God today. It may be that your personal experience at the moment seems pretty hopeless, but the God of all hope can come to you today and give you a completely new perspective in faith in what God wants to do. And so we come to the third leg of the chair this morning, which is passion. Passion. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I really felt a leap of faith in my heart this morning, and you may be saying to me, well, you would say that anyway, you're the preacher and you want us to listen but if you just get beyond that a little bit, I really felt a leap of faith in my heart today to believe and expect that God's going to reignite the passion of some people in the meeting this morning. I want to say that in absolute confidence today, there is not one person here by chance. And it might be that today your destiny collides with the purpose of God. And if you have an open heart to what he wants to do and say, I believe that God can do something. I believe in the release of the power of the word, friends, to create faith that changes us forever. So passion, 
His definition and in our in our documents, <clears throat> the headline over that third section called passion says this. He says a people of passion who live lives of God-given fullness. A definition of passion would be a powerful, compelling emotion or feeling. Of course, passion can be reflected both positively and also negatively. I'll come to that a little bit later on. And we have to face up to the fact that if you drive the definition a little further, passion sometimes refers to an expression in our sexuality. Don't worry, I'm not going to go there this morning, although the Yankees coming out pretty early uh, today. <laughs> Let me just say this, that if that is the only way that you express your passion, therefore through conquests, multiple relationships, etc., etc., seeking to find the real passion of your life, here's what's going to happen. You're going to hurt a lot of people, and perhaps just as importantly, you're going to hurt yourself. Read 1 Corinthians 6. It says exactly that. Now, having got that out of the way, uh, I'm going to move on to an expression this morning in the heart of God where people live with a passion for the Lord. Here's something that really happened. A friend of mine said to me some time ago, I've been invited to speak in a church. It's a church not a million miles from here. It's not part of our denomination. And he said, I've been asked to speak on passion. He said to the leader of the church, why are you asking me to speak on it? He says, because we can't think of anybody in our church that could do it. I want to say, friends, that if ever we get to a day in Arena Church where the leadership can't speak on passion, you need to pray and pray hard because we are in trouble. We need to be passionate. The story goes of an actor, or should that be an actor, and a preacher who met for a discussion. The preacher bemoaned the fact that the actor played before great crowds whilst his congregation was diminishing in number. And the actor came back with the reply as to why that was happening. He said, I act fiction as if it was truth, and you preach truth as if it was fiction. And the reality is, friends, that passionless living often starts in passionless pulpits, where people stop believing in the heart of God. God save us, friends, in arena than anything that lacks a passion for God. A strong feeling, a sense of emotion, a vibe that propels us forward in the purposes of the Lord. I want you to remember for a moment what it cost God in Christ Jesus to bring us to the place of even having the privilege of expressing a passion for him in our lives. He was called an arrest. He was called an unjust trial where people bayed at him and said, crucify the Savior. He was called dying on a cross. Interestingly, as we approach Easter in a few weeks' time, that's often described as the passion. The passion. And of course, it was depicted graphically and powerfully in Mal Gibson's film of a few years ago. I remember going to watch that film courtesy of Premier Radio, and they contacted a number of Christian leaders in the area, Eric, the late Eric and Christian and Mark Wheatley and others. We parked at Talbot Street, we walked down to Corner House, and we got a free ticket to listen, uh, to watch the film. There was quite a bit of jousting and joking, as you'd expect, going down. We walked back up Talbot Street in stunned silence, as we were confronted with all that our Saviour bore for us, to give us the privilege of serving him with a passion. Let me say this about Arena Church. Arena Church is not committed to weirdness. 
Arena Church is not allowing strange antics to take place under the guise of deep spirituality. Arena Church, friends, does not allow unaccountable conduct to take place. This is a safe place to be. But here's the truth. Arena Church is unashamedly and unapologetically a passionate church. If that jars with you, we're not going to say sorry. It's reflected in our music. It's reflected in our praise and worship. It's affected, it's impacted in our word teaching ministry, and it works out in our community. In other words, Arena Church carries a zest for life. Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. And if you want to be a part of a church that's full of passion, I think you found a good place. If passion jars against you, I'll come to it in a moment as to some of the reasons why, then this is going to be an uncomfortable journey. But here's the truth, friends, whatever it costs, and I say this on behalf of Christian and the leaders, whatever it costs, we are not going to backtrack on passion. We sometimes express that passion in the way that we correspond with people. And we want to be known for what we're for. Occasionally in passion, we have to stand for what we're against, whatever it costs us. A passionate church. Our verses never be lacking in zeal. That word in the original language is a little word called zeo, not deo, otherwise we might get a song coming on, okay, but, but zeo. <clears throat> no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> and it literally means to be white hot. It literally means to boil. Never be lacking in white hot spirituality. Never be lacking in boiling for Christ, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Now let me talk for a few moments about a few passion killers. Oh, that's a real passion killer. Well, here's a few. Number one, the love of the world. You say, Phil, what do you mean? I I love nature. I love walking. I love being in the country. I'm not talking about that. But the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, that we're to love not the world. It's not talking about the beauty of creation around us you know, I think we're so blessed to live in this part of the country. We, you can always find, even within walking distance, somewhere really gorgeous to, 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 to go and to admire the countryside. We're just on the edge of the peaks. You can be up in Matlock in 30 minutes. Just a great place to live. God's beautiful creation. Not talking about that. He's talking about the spirit of the age. He's talking about people pressing you in with their ideas that are counter to God's ideas. And he says, don't love that spirit. One of the saddest verses is found in the Bible by a man called by the name of Demas, not demon, Demas. At the end of Colossians, it's describing him as part of Paul's apostolic team. And they send greetings to the church. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul says with heavy heart, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I don't know what went off in his life, friends, to cause him to recant the faith. But he loved this world. And it killed his passion. What about wrong priority? Matthew chapter 6, in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he says, don't get overly worked up about how it's all going to work out, who's going to provide. He says, if I know uh, about the birds of the field, and the, uh, sorry, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, how much more am I so uh, interested in you? And friends, I want to encourage us to come to a fresh place of trust in the Lord. We realize that we're into the fifth year of recession in our nation. We understand that this bites deep at times. 
There are people in our congregation that run businesses, both small and large. Uh, There are people that carry huge responsibility for people that work under them. And we totally get all that that brings. And God does too. And he says, trust me. Trust me. Don't allow that to kill your passion. Instead, in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. When we first got married, we lived in a little flat in Skegness, which was our, where we, we began ministry. And we had this little plaque that somebody gave us. Uh, and it, it wouldn't sort of, sort of suit nowadays, but it sort of had gold embossed language on it, uh, 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 writing on it. And it simply said this, God first, God first. And without any sense of boast this morning, that's exactly where Sharon and me have tried to live. Seeking first the kingdom. And allowing those other things to be added to us, it maintains our passion and doesn't kill it. Thirdly, self-sufficiency. There's a church in the book of Revelation. There were seven churches mentioned. And one of the churches is the church of Laodicea. And this church is saying to Jesus, well, we've got it all sorted, Jesus. The doctrine's great. Everything's sorted. We don't really need you. And Jesus came to them and says, interesting about the language, he says, He says, you nauseate me. In fact, you make me feel sick. He says, because you're neither hot nor cold. You're tepid. You're lukewarm. In other words, you've no passion. You've no passion. And he called them to turn around and repent. That they might find the passion of the Lord again. I want to say, friends, with absolute grace today, I'm not speaking about any particular church. But the only answer to the revival of some churches in our nation today is repentance. To say, sorry, God, that we've run this on our own. We've taken it to a committee. We've tried to sort it all out. We've pushed you to the door. And it's killed our passion. And we're sorry. We turn around. We have a change in mind that leads to a change of action. That's what repentance is. And we draw you back into the center of the church where you've called to be. And fourthly, an inability to respond to God. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to religious people. Do you notice the language of Jesus in the Gospels? Wonderfully compassionate to broken people. But sort of uh, very strong and direct to people that he he deemed as having a religion, a form of godliness, but denying its power. And he said to those people, he says, your hearts are far from me and your worship is in vain. What causes that to happen in us? It's simply religion. It's simply when we, we replace our relationship with God with a form of godliness. And here's what it does. Here's what it does every time. I observe it, friends. I see it. What it does, it flatlines emotional intelligence in people's hearts. What do I mean? It brings them to a place, friends, where they never are able to respond to God. Emotionally and and passionately, they flatline. Now, I understand you might say, it's all right for you waving your arms around, getting pumped up and getting a sweat on. We know that. We know that you get pretty excited about But I'm not made like that. I get it. This church is not just for extroverts, friends. Please hear me. It's for quiet people. It's for thoughtful people. It's for cerebral people. It's for people that sort of think things through. It's for all those sorts of people. But here's the truth. If you, in your emotions, never get moved by what God is doing in your life and in the community of believers, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. I'm going to preach a message sometime in the future on Saturday night and Sunday morning. You know the great book by Alex Silas sort of years ago. But the thing is, if you're pumped on a Saturday night and Sunday morning, 
There's something wrong. There's something wrong. And so we're not asking anybody to be anything other than what they are. If you're a quiet person, that's absolutely cool with Arena Church. But here's the truth, friends. Romans 12, 11 is not just written to extroverts. It's written to the church. Be fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. You need to boil. And sometimes, friends, it gets expressed in how we show it unto God. You see, the enemy of our souls loves to dilute passion in the people of God. He loves to choke praise at its source. He loves to make the atmosphere funereal. In other words, like a funeral. He loves, friends, to bring us to a place of sin. And then what happens is new people come to the church. New people think church is dull. New people think church is boring. New people think church is irrelevant. And if we're not careful, we confirm all of those fears when they come to church. And guess what? They never come again. I love it when people come to the arena and say, I didn't realize church was like this. It's not meant to be like whatever this is. It's meant to be the people of God, passionate about their Savior, living in the fullness of what he's called us to be. And whatever people's view or stances on our church here in Arena, both Ilkeston and Mansfield, let them never accuse us of this, that we don't mean what we say and say what we mean. So to the second part of the message. And I've just got three little points that are so breathtakingly simple this morning. But I just want to urge us to express our passion to Jesus as followers of him in these ways. Firstly, passionate for the Lord. Passionate for the Lord. <clears throat> in uh, <clears throat> Philippians, a New Testament book, which we're going to do in our discipleship journey here in Arena uh, as we go towards the spring. The Apostle Paul talks about what he was in the past. He was a religious zealot. He was passionate. If I can put it bluntly, friends, he was passionate about killing Christians. He was passionate about extinguishing the early flame of the Christian church. He was passionate about putting fear in people's hearts. You read about it. Acts chapter 8 and verse 3 says that Paul created havoc in the church. And Pete was just talking to me this morning about Acts 9 and the confrontation he had with the Lord's. And things completely changed. And he found a fresh expression for his passion. And in Philippians, he particularly alludes to it. In chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I want to know Christ. He was passionate for the Lord. This is a Christian, friends. A Christian is a white heart follower of their leader, and his name is Jesus. And when we follow the Lord, it begins to work out in our lives. You see, when we're passionate about Jesus, we're passionate about his word. Because Jesus said in John 15 that friends of mine are people that find out what my word says and then put it into action. That's a follower of the Lord. When we're passionate about the Lord, we're passionate about his house. Because Jesus said in John chapter 2 and verse 17, the zeal for your house consumes me. He loved the house of God. He believed in community, Christian. Passionate for the Lord meant that we're passionate for his rule. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. You see, sheep is a description of us and sheep are prone to wander. 
But when we're passionate about the Lord, it's the last thing we want to do. We want to stay, if I can use the term, on the straight and narrow. We want to implement what Jesus says to our lives. We want to find out all that we can about him. Because this is not about a religious pathway. This is about a personal relationship with the passionate Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, friends, he wants us to be passionate for the lost. Forgive me for a moment if I give you a few statistics, but these statistics have sent me to sleep in recent weeks, not in the wrong way, but in the sense of being on my heart, because in our area in the autumn, we invited our director of mission, Gary Rucci, to speak at three zonal events. So I listened to the message three times. It actually got better, which is fantastic. It was good at the start, but it was very good on the third, third week. And then <clears throat> Gary, along with a team, have put together Commission Magazine, which is just an expression of the missional heart of Assemblies of God at this time. I've got a few copies. I, I can't give everyone a copy, but if you grab me at the door today and I've still got one, you're welcome to take a copy of that. And what Gary said on those evenings, he then puts into print in this particular booklet, a passion for the lost. Jesus says that the Son of Man keeps, keeps, comes to seek and to save those that are lost. Lost people, friends, around our world today, where it's reflected in poverty, in inequality, and injustice. And God calls his people, we thank God for other bodies, but God calls his people, the church of Jesus Christ, to passionately rise up and express a, a emotion, a feeling, a longing for the loss. Here's the truth, friends. 80%, that is a zero. 80% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. It's about six pounds. 80%. The reality is, friends, that tonight, 800 people across the planet are going to go to bed hungry. Over 850 million people have no access to clean drinking water. And those that are experts in mission tell us that 3 billion people, 43% of the world's population, are still considered as unreached. In other words, they've never had a clear presentation of the fact that God loves them in Jesus Christ. Friends, the needs are huge. You may say, oh, that's mind-blowing, Phil. How can I respond to that? Well, who knows? It may be that we've got somebody in our church today at 13, 14, 15, and 16 that gets such a passion for God that they make a vocational commitment to serve him all their days in mission. It may be, friends, that it's expressed in giving up a week's holiday, maybe this year or in 2014, to do and go and do a short-term mission, to place yourself in an uncomfortable, inconvenient place. Maybe you're not even going to get a shower for a few days. That'll really freak some of you. You come back smelling a bit on Ryanair, but you'll have the experience of your life because it will give you a passion for other contexts that are far removed from ours. It may be, friends, that you express it in upping your giving to the mercy offering. It may be that you thought like bailing out on your 20 quid, 21 pound a month to compassion. But this morning, God just speaks to you and says, keep doing it. Because if you keep doing it, you're sowing into the destiny of somebody that's going to be raised up for an amazing purpose in God. And so we could go on. It may be, friends, that your passion for the lost is expressed on the doorstep of the church. In Ilkeston, in Mansfield, in the M1 corridor that we seek to serve. It may be that it's expressed in the ends of the earth. But here's the truth, friends. This church has a passion for the lost. This man has a passion for the lost. We have people around this church that have a passion for the lost. I don't want you getting freaked out about it. I don't want you bringing to a place of self-condemnation. I don't want you sort of talking inappropriately to folks and saying, oh, well, that told them. 
but actually you've lost them because you weren't wise in the way that you communicated the good news. I'm not saying any of that, but here's the heartbeat of the church, friends. There are millions and millions of people across the earth that are still lost. And the church exists to give an opportunity for lost people to find the Lord. It's only going to be done when we've got a passion. And thirdly, friends, a passion for the Lord, a passion for the lost, and a passion for this life. Again, John 10.10, Jesus says that I am come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. That, that, that translation or that understanding that verse literally means, friends, that now we can have something of the life of the age that is to come. I know sometimes we've been taught in church that we've got to wait until we get to heaven. Then it all turn around. There's a sense where it will, or the Lord comes again. But here's the truth, that people that live life in all of its fullness can begin to have a taste of the eternal day, even now. We can live something of the life of the age to come now. When you do that, you don't love the world. When you do that, you put Jesus first. When you do that, you don't live in self-sufficiency because you're getting a taste of the wonderful community of believers that will be around the throne of God, worshipping him forever and ever. And when you've tasted it, nothing else satisfies. There's a film around at the moment called Lincoln and some of you may have already seen it, but Abraham Lincoln said these words. He says, it's not the years in your life that count, but the life in your years. I don't know whether sometimes, friends, you read the paper and you, you, you come across an obituary, some shocking story, something inexplicable. I was just, my, my, dad's, my dad trots through the obituary column of the Evening Post. He's done for years. Anybody we know, he, he tells us. But sometimes you just flip through 28, 24, 32. 17, what's that about? And you'll sometimes get this a bit below. They lived more in those 25 years than some people do in 70. That's the passion of what we're trying to say, friends. It's not the years on this earth that count, but it's the life that flows through your years. If I can run to another film for a moment. Now a little dated, but Dead Poets Society and Robin Williams, the English teacher's teaching his American students poetry, the love of poetry. And one of the recurring phrases of that film that's become a little bit of a mantra for me was carpe diem, the Latin phrase, seize the day. And you may be loving church today and think, ooh, tomorrow. Oh. Seize the day. Sometimes, friends, the day's not necessarily having anything spectacular in it. Sometimes can be routine. Do you know something? Arena Church works because there are people in our church that commit to the routine of the week. They turn up every day on time. They do a good day's work. They make sure things are in place that makes today work. If you talk to Olivia and Holly and uh, talk to the interns that have been on the journey over the years, they're always surprised that we never realized there was all this involved. We just used to come on a Sunday. I know they came at other times as well, but in terms of the context of Sunday church, making routine your friend, not your enemy. It'll be amazed what you can achieve and accomplish when you do. Seizing the day. My mind wandered this morning. I thought if I wasn't a Christian this morning, I, I, I don't know why I did it, but if I wasn't a Christian this morning, here's how I could plot my course. I could have watched Andy Murray this morning. Please don't go on the internet now to find out how he's going on. Let's wait till later, okay? <laughs> it was one set up, so if that encourages you, you know. Then I could watch uh, Brentford against Chelsea, 12 o'clock. Leeds against 
uh, Tottenham, 2 o'clock. Oldham against Liverpool, 4 o'clock. Uh, Asuna against uh, uh, Barcelona at 6 o'clock. And Athletic Bilbao against Athletic Madrid at 8 o'clock. That's what I could have done today. And friends, I'm glad I'm in the house, you know. Because you can waste your time. Waste your time. With things that don't really matter. I'm not saying you shouldn't sit in front of the tally and enjoy a film or watch the footy. But friends, you can see how we need to seize the day. And the thing that drives us on with no sense of regret is a passion for the Lord. I said earlier that passion sometimes been expressed in evil ways. Post-Second World War, 1949, there was a cultural revolution under the leadership of Marcy Tung in China that was passionate about eradicating Christianity. I'm thankful, friends, it gloriously failed. And today in China, there are millions, literally millions of people that are passionate, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Some of them have had to pay a great price for that. Those of you that have read the book by Brother Yun will know some of the things that some of the great Chinese leaders have endured for the cause of Jesus And of course, that war that I spoke about was precipitated by a passionate, crazed dictator that had a skewed take on race. It can work out in evil. It can work out in the trivial. People get passionate about the trivial. I was watching the news yesterday morning before I went to Royal Leamington Spa. And the news broadcaster does sort of a little thing on a Saturday. Some of you may have watched it. He gets involved in all sorts of things. But they went up to the Cairngorms because yesterday there was husky racing. Okay, we had all this bad weather. We've got people saying, don't make a journey. The best journey you can ever make is the journey when you don't go out. Please stay in and warm your toes and never go out again. It's snowmageddon, okay? We've got all that. But people, friends, from all over the country, passionate, with the dogs in the back, and there they were. And they said, oh, the track this year is fantastic. The fresh snow, they were there on the mine. Oh, it's fantastic. All these, a thousand huskies had congregated with their owners, pulling the trolleys, passionate. I remember being in Weymouth on holiday a couple of years ago. We, we, we've occasionally, courtesy of a couple of old friends of ours, had the opportunity just to go down there. And it was the Sunday afternoon. I think we'd got an ice cream. And we were just whiling away the afternoon. And then I saw passion. I saw passion. Because there was this sort of pool of water. And there were these people racing miniature boats. Okay? But they had the whales rose out on. They were from Wales. They were pumped up. There were judges, there was a guy with a peak cap. They were passionate. Come on, friends. They come from all over the place to race a few boats in some water. Trivial. And then what about the inconsequential? Things that don't really matter. I do love sport, but the basic friend thing of it, and it invokes passion. I've even got Sharon asking how Arena FC is getting on when I get back from the match now. How about that? How you doing? But at the end of the day, the beauty of it is it really doesn't matter. Well, I'd say it really doesn't matter. You know. <laughs> I'm glad we got a one-one last week. You know, it really doesn't matter. You see, it's inconsequential in the great scheme of things. And the things that really do matter, friends, have really caught the passion of my heart. And I say that with absolute humility. And that's God and Jesus and speaking the gospel. I think of Christian people that seize the day, that got a passion. I think of some of my favorites, if I can just roll them off for a moment. William Wilberforce got passionate about slave abolition. Elizabeth Fry got passionate about prison reform, particularly amongst women. 
Martin Luther King Jr. got passionate about race segregation ending on the basis of what color skin people were. William Booth got passionate about reaching the drunks and down and outs of the East End and created a worldwide movement in 110 nations. Gladys Aylward, so small, so petite, so tiny, that every mission organization she went to, and where she said, I want to go to China, says, no, you're not going. She went anyway, friends, passionate, and won thousands and thousands of people to the Lord and sowed in a seed that is still producing fruit today. Billy Graham became passionate about mass evangelism in the 20th century, and so we could go on. But I close my message with reference to one person, and his name's Count Zinzendorf, or Nicholas Ludwig, if you want to take away his title. As his name suggests, he came from German aristocracy, and he lived in the 18th century, <clears throat> and he was uh, on the journey to be an ambassadorial, uh, play an ambassadorial role for his nation, but the call of God came upon Count Zinzendorf's life, and he, out of a series of circumstances, created and led a Christian community in Hernhut in Germany, you can still go to the little village today, that was known as Moravian Believers. They'd been persecuted believers in Czechoslovakia some years prior to that. And they ran from that persecution to create a, a little enclave of, of, uh, of, of, of hopefulness and prayer and community and support. The story goes that there was uh, lots of dissensions at the beginning of the establishment of this particular community. But Count Zinzendorf, still in his 20s, began to pull people together. And they began to pray. And in 1727, this guy, just in his mid-twenties, 24 men and 24 women committed in the Hernut community to pray one hour a day around the clock. And so began what is known in church history as the 100-year prayer meeting. Because from that decision, friends, in that moment, from that community, there was never a moment, there was never a second, there was never an hour, there was never a day over the next 100 years where there wasn't somebody praying for the needs of the earth. How many of you know, friends, that when we pray to God, God changes us? And 60 years into that prayer vigil, this community of believers that started virtually with nothing had sent 300 missionaries to the ends of the earth. They sent people, friends, to nations we didn't even exist. In the 18th century, missionaries went to Greenland. In the 18th century, there was at least two men that were so committed to identifying with the slaves that were being taken from Africa at, at, to, to, to serve in other nations, that they actually signed up to be part of the ship's, uh, not crew, but those, in other words, they signed up for slavery to identify with those that were going to other nations. People, friends, that were just passionate about God. I say all that because Count Zinzendorf had one great phrase that I think um, exemplified his life. He said this, I have one passion. It is he and he only. We are passionate about what we do in Arena Church. It's not just a Sunday exercise, friends. It really is for life. And it really is for keeps. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. A commitment to community. An expression of hope. And today, a renewed passion stirring in our hearts. Let's live in a way that says, what other, whatever other people may think of us, that we really do. Mean it.